I draw your attention now to God's word, Romans chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 6 to verse 11. Romans chapter 5. And I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible. The Bible says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I've entitled this message, God so loves the world. God so loves the world. I am well aware that today's topic is bound to raise some fundamental, if not disturbing questions in our minds. God so loves the world? Does God really love the world? And if God really does love the world, why has he allowed this unprecedented pain and suffering to visit his world? Has he abandoned us to a free fall? Where is God in all these chaos? To mention but a few questions that may be running through your mind. Allow me to state from the very onset that whereas God may allow pain and suffering to come our way, no evil originates from God. Evil originates from our fallen nature, from our fallen world, and from Satan, but never from God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 18 verse 30, As for God, His ways are perfect. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 will tell us, He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all His ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. See, for as long as we live in this fallen world, you and I will experience suffering. Jesus Christ speaking to the disciples in John 16 verse 33, assured them, I have told you these things, he said, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My intention today is not to engage in another endless intellectual, philosophical, or even theological debate about why do bad things happen to good people or why do good things happen to bad people. You see, philosophers have had this argument over the years and did not quite arrive at a logical conclusion and they decided to label this paradox of life the problem of evil. C.S. Lewis, that great Christian author, also had a bite at it and called it the problem of pain. But suffice it to say that God cannot allow you and I to be tried or tested beyond your capacity to withstand the same. And in the final analysis, good always triumphs over evil. Joseph of old found this to be true. 
in Genesis chapter 15. After his father, Jacob has died, his brothers were fearful. What if our brother has a grudge and takes it out on us? So they approach Joseph, asking for forgiveness. Joseph speaks to them in Genesis 50, verse 19 to 21. The Bible says, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Job of all found this truth to be true and consistent. The account of Job begins the story of a man who had everything together, seemingly everything together. He was a God-fearing man who shunned evil. He was a wealthy man in business. Seven sons and three daughters. What else could one possibly equate to success? But God allowed some trials and testing to come his way. He lost all his property from what looked like a horror movie out of Hollywood. But at the end of the story in Job 42, verse 5 to 6, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He had encountered God, but the story does not close there. In verse 10, after he prayed for these miserable friends who had come to sympathize and encourage him, the Bible tells us, verse 10 of Job 42, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters from the same wife. That's blessing. By the time he dies at 140 and is full of years, he had this testimony that no evil comes from God. And God will not allow you to be tried and tested beyond your capacity to bear with the same. So I invite you to consider with me this truth that the suffering of Christ is the greatest demonstration of God's love to humanity. If you forget everything else I'll be saying, remember this one truth, that the suffering of Christ is the greatest demonstration of God's love towards humanity. See, whereas the cross of Jesus is a symbol of pain and suffering, whereas the cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol of victory for the church, please know that the cross is the greatest symbol of God's love. You see, it wasn't the Roman nails that held him on that old rugged cross. He did not hang on that cross because he was helpless and cornered. It was love that held him on that cross. He spoke in John chapter 10, verse 17 to verse 18, and declared the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father, said Jesus. That's a demonstration of his love. I'm sure you're asking yourself, Patrick, please answer this big question. How exactly does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrate God's love towards me? Three things. Number one, 
He paid a debt he did not owe. For a people who owed a debt they could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. For a people who owed a debt they could not pay. The Bible tells me, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, verse 7 says, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever been in debt to a point where the sheer thought of that debt just disoriented your life significantly? I'm talking about the kind of debt that caused you sleepless nights and you were tossing and turning in bed and your wife turned and asked you, Hey, you're sleep talking, what is the matter? And you said, Oh no, honey, I'm fine. But in your heart of hearts, you knew there was a debt. I'm talking about the kind of debt that caused you to shed so much weight that when you met your colleagues, they paid you the compliment. Hey, we like your gym routine. Please introduce us. If only they knew it was a debt that was overwhelming you because the auctioneers were closing in on you and you're wondering. But one day your phone rings and when you check your phone, you can tell, I know this number. This number is well familiar. It's from your bank. And you let it ring without answering. And it rings again. But this time you decide, let me answer. And when you answer, on the end of the line is the relationship manager, your personal banker. She says, Patrick, could you please come down to the bank? And you hesitate, but you show up at the bank. And when you get to the bank hall, she tells you, please have a seat. I have this news for you. The bank has canceled your debt. Woo! What joy! I can hear you screaming and shouting, I will do the same, you know. But I came to tell you, there's a kind of debt that the bank cannot write off. There's a kind of debt that your friends cannot write off. There's a kind of debt the World Bank and the IMF and the ADB combined together cannot write off. Only Jesus Christ has the capacity and had the capacity to pay that debt. You see, he did not owe any debt. Yet, he was willing and he actually paid your debt. You and I had a debt we could not pay. And this is the demonstration of God's love when he came down and paid that debt that you could not pay. The Bible describes our indebtedness using words like powerless, helpless, wicked, ungodly, sinners, Hostile. If I ask you the question, who would you die for? Some of you would say a loved one, maybe a wife, maybe a son, maybe a daughter, or maybe even a colleague. Who would you die for? Can I hear some of us saying, me dying for my wife, this woman? Can I hear some of you saying, me die for my husband, this man? He's been gone all along. It's only Rona that has brought him home lately. Me die for him. I hope none of you said over my dead body. And you see, that's exactly what Christ did. Isaiah would say, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Please notice the progression in verse 7. The Bible says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. There's a progression from rare to possible and finally to unthinkable. Christ did the unthinkable. You and I can do the rare. You and I can do the possible. But he did the unthinkable. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 